Inside 20, for those who desire to hunt close. Brought to you by Traditional Bow Hunters of Georgia, Big Jim's Bow Company, Gunshy Archery, Vantage Point Archery, Custom Kings Traditional Archery, and Triple T Strings. Inside 20 is a separate entity from our sponsors. The information shared from each podcast are the beliefs of the Inside 20 associates and the guests participating. Tonight, we're excited to welcome another very special guest, someone who is obviously driven in many different aspects of life, and he's no stranger to a bow and arrow, Brandon Lilly. Brandon, how's it going tonight, man? Well, guys, I'm uh, I'm already excited for it. You know, I, I do my own podcast, but I, I try not to do too many outside of my own just to kind of protect what I say and what I, you know, where I put my media and whatnot. But it's actually really cool because, you know, I looked into you guys and as soon as you asked me, it was an immediate yes. So, you know, I love um, I love what you guys have done and what you're trying to do as far as just shed light on the positivity of, you know, having fun with a trad bow. So I'm all about it. So thank you for having me very much. Absolutely. Yeah, it is a blast, man. Uh, traditional archery is is uh, something like nothing else, you know? Yeah, for sure. It's um, I'll be honest, man. Like, I was going through, and I don't know if you guys experience it, but, you know, I, I'm related somewhat in the industry through Sorenex Outdoors. Uh, and I guess I'll just kind of jump into a little bit of my history so people can catch up. But this is the Cliff Notes version. I was a I was a lifetime athlete, basketball, soccer, baseball, swimming, diving, um, just anything that I could do to to entertain myself via sport. When I was you know when I was a kid, me and my my neighbor friends we 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 lived on Apache Drive, and we organized the, a tour de Apache, and it was a hundred laps, and we we told ourselves it was a hundred miles. It was probably sixty anyway, but it was a hundred laps of this big loop that we lived on. So I was just always an energetic kid. I tried to exhaust myself as much as I could. My parents were like, you know, when the street light comes on, you got to be home in 15 minutes. And, and in 15 minutes after the street light, it was dark. So pretty much from sun up to sundown, I was outside playing as hard as I could go. And that developed a, a love of the outdoors. It, it introduced me to hunting at a very early age in a very different way. Um, you know, but, but I, kind of excelled at sport I was a standout in a couple areas and ended up going to college as a thrower and I'd never even thrown an implement in my life but I had a coach that had seen me my entire life as an athlete he was like look I need a thrower you can figure it out if anybody can you can figure it out so I went my freshman year had a really good year but the introduction to the weight room the actual sports training facility was what was like the big win for me because I'd already started to develop an interest in bodybuilding as well as sports nutrition and those kind of things. Being on a throwing team or being on any kind of athletic team, I got some of that stuff kind of curtailed to me via coaches or via staff, uh, kind of free of charge. I learned a lot from these people. So it was a great year, but I knew that I didn't want to throw. Like my heart wasn't in it and I loved lifting. So to fast track, um, I ended up starting to, to power lift, you know, kind of move into real life, get a job, have a kid, get married, all that stuff. Um, and, and my marriage kind of dissolved through 08 when, um, when everything kind of fell apart with the economy. I was in the car business and really was, was at my wits end and at a really dark place. I was making terrible choices. Um, I'd gotten in, you know, just to say, the, the nicest way to say it is I was spending a lot more time on the dark side of town doing dark side of things than I was doing the right kind of things. So 
um, that just kind of led me to a desperation or uh, a survivalist mentality. And I was powerlifting at this point. Like I said, I had a, a love affair with the gym, and I was good at it. And I got invited really at, at my lowest point in my life to this point uh, to Westside Barbell. And that invitation came and was just like, that was my lighthouse. I had a purpose again. You know, you lose your family, you lose your job, you lose yourself. And I was really just kind of swimming in the ocean with no bearings. And powerlifting became that anchor. It became the thing that really gave me a place where I could take all the anger that I had or aggression that I had towards my life and channel that into, you know, an environment of heavy lifting and camaraderie amongst guys that were like-minded. And it really did become probably a saving grace, even though at times and because of bad decisions, uh, I probably worsened myself. But over time, I eventually got it straightened out a little bit and became a champion and then eventually a world champion a few times over. And really at the, at the crest of my career, uh, it was halted by a, not a career ending injury. I won't say that because I came back and lifted, but you know, it was a career stunning injury because I literally went from, uh, you know, August, October, November time frame, a world champion spending time in Australia, just enjoying myself fruits of my win coming back through Mexico, enjoying that, and then doing a meet kind of at last minute, sort of a, you know, an ego-driven decision to go head-to-head with another guy. And uh, I, I did a weight cut, which I'd never really entertained or encouraged people to do, but I did so so I could compete head-to-head with this guy. And it was all just poor decision-making, stepping outside of what I wanted to do, trying to chase um, – anybody and everybody so that I could stay relevant, stay on top and stay, uh, you know, being able to do seminars and being able to travel and all these other things that were peripheral to just competition, but also allowed me to make a living through the sport. Um, and at that competition, I blew my knees apart, both knees, just devastating. If you can imagine, uh, stripping a chicken, chicken wing for a chicken leg from the body, you know, just that spiral twist. That's what happened inside of both knees right knee, quad tendon, patella tendon, and then the left knee was the literal spiral. It was every ligament, every tendon. My kneecap actually retracted, still attached to my quad tendon under the skin about three and a half inches up and then to the outside of your quad sweep. Um, When we got to the hospital, they thought I was in a a car accident. They thought that's how bad it was. So come come back from that, like I said, I got back to a very high level, but never to the level that I was previous well that's that's a that's a lie in the gym and see i'm a i'm a competitive guy and i only count my competition lifts as my the ones that i go by because they were judged by other people not just by picking something up and putting it down but the the level of judging by my peers right so um after my injury i hit a pr deadlift i came back and squatted the same exact weight that broke my knees um I actually did a one more pound than that just to say that I beat it. And then, uh, I actually benched over 600 pounds raw after my knee injury. So I lingered around in the sport for another three or four years. Um, kind of just really because I was so scared to death to not be Brandon Lilly, the strong guy, the power lifter, the world champion, whatever. I, I didn't know who I was without that caveat. You know, when people discuss my name or approach me like, oh, my God, you're Brandon Lilly, the powerlifter. 
you know, there's a little bit of intoxication with that kind of treatment. And I think that when that was gone, I was just stripped down to the man. You know, that's, that's what I was left with. The, the, the body armor was proven to be faulty. You know what I mean? So really tried to piece myself back together, put my life back together, struggled for a couple of years, um, really came to a point where I didn't want to live. And thankfully I was able to make the distinction that I did want to live. I just didn't want to live the way that I was living anymore. Um, so I was three, I was over 300 pounds, pretty, you know, at 320 pounds, I had six pack at 320 pounds. Um, so I was like just way too big. And that was the first thing was, uh, really trying to save my own life after not really thinking I wanted to live was like, well, if the opposite is true then save yourself. So, uh, reconnected with my parents, kind of put some groundwork into rebuilding that relationship and started you know, just trying, I was like, go mountain climbing, or I want to hike, or I want to rock climb, or I want to run, or I want to do anything that I can to get myself back to a level of competence and capability, because for someone who felt invincible to feel the true wrath, more or less, of our in, or of our ability to fall and our ability to, to fall apart, um, you know, I was no longer 10 feet tall and bulletproof, and I had to kind of reconcile with that, so health became my objective and you know i wanted to get myself in shape i wanted to do different things and hunting just seemed to fall right back into line with that timeline i'd gotten away from it for a number of years when i was lifting but it was the combination of the hiking i loved being outdoors um, i loved reconnecting with my ability to move you know for two three four five miles at a time eventually doing a half marathon and marathons and all these other things after 19 knee surgeries so, you know, to think that, man, I was this person that had every achievement that you could possibly want in a sport, but I was not good as a person to find something like hunting, which continuously and perpetually introduces me to men who are far better than I am, who are far better hunters than I am, who are far better archers than I am, and they enrich me. And so much of the powerlifting mindset was every person out there that probably would have helped me the same way was my enemy. They were my competition. And I think archery, specifically traditional archery, gave me the ability to have a humble beginning. Like, you're supposed to be terrible at it. It's not You're not supposed to be good at it immediately. And it just allowed me to take the armor off, set everything down. Because with a compound, I was a hot shot. Like, I, I loved shooting far. I loved shooting accurate at distance. Um, I love the mindset of if something in front of me gets to 60 yards, I can kill it. Well, that burned me. That actually, that mindset made me a worse hunter because I only focused on becoming a better shooter. And then as I was kind of at this paradox of once again, who am I? What am I doing this for? And what is my what is my real calling to this? Is it for the Instagram photo? Is it, am I that desperate that I have to take a shot at 70 yards because that's the only opportunity I believe in myself to get? Or have I rested on my laurels and failed myself as a hunter and failed the skills of a hunter, failed to get close, failed to, failed to even try to get closer? You know, so the recurve came at a real time from a person that I won't name here, but just as a, as a huge not mentor in the sense that they personally guided me, but mentor in the sense that 
I followed them for years and just appreciate the way that they do things and the way that they live and carry themselves and the lines that they draw in the sand. You know, like I, I admire this person a great deal. And they challenged me to the point that they sent me the bow. They sent me a, a Hoyt Satori. And, um, I mean, I don't know if you can ask for a better first bow, but that, that, you know, they sent me this bow and they're like, I believe in you to get it done. So that was like, to me, I don't know who your favorite athlete is or somebody that's, you know, important to you in your life, but, you know, I can equate it to like Michael Jordan handing you a basketball at seven years old and saying, kid, I see something in you. Well, he doesn't know if you're going to be great or not, but he just gave you the best encouragement of your life from somebody you look up to, you know? So I took it and ran with it. And as of sitting here tonight talking to you guys, that's, that's kind of the long and short of it. And that's an awesome story, man. Everything that you covered and talking about how you've been able to just power through some of the darkest, most difficult times in your life and then tie it all back in traditional archery. I think we've talked about that a number of times on the podcast. And that's the reason I think a lot of people love it because it is so similar to life because life is often not fair and it uh, it'll break the strongest of men. Um, but if you keep pushing uh, the reward is so much greater on the back side of that. And I think you've uh, like you tying that back together and seeing that. And then the way that the, this uh, this individual poured into you, we see that so much in this community. And I think it's so critical in this world that we live in. We live in such a, a me world. It's, it's so driven by our self desires and what we want. And it's so fast paced now that we can get in such a rhythm that years go by and only thing that you were trying to accomplish was what was on your agenda. And I think that, that we need more people that are trying to, you know, invest time into others, not for any type of self gain, but simply just because they want to see somebody, you know, thrive or enjoy what they've been able to enjoy and, and, uh, you know, give them an opportunity. So it's, it's very humbling to hear you tell that story. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, you know, that, that story's been told a number of different ways and not because the truth has changed or that I'm, you know, trying to curb things, but just my perspective on my own life, you know, my ability to, and, and dude, I'll tell you when you, I don't know if everybody does this when they get to a low point, like I've gotten, but you know, I was so desperate to figure out why I couldn't get it right. You know, cause it's like, I got a good heart. I got a good head on my shoulders. I'm not stupid, but I keep finding myself further and further from who where and what I want to be. And, um, so I really did a lot of soul searching. I mean, like as, as long a walk and as hard a question as you could ask yourself in total silence, just to try to unwind, like, where did, where did I come off the rails? Like what set this thing in motion that I can't control? You know what I mean? Like I just, how did I end up a place that I didn't ever intend to be? And really that was just, you know, I never intended to be a power lifter. I was, very happy in my job and my previous life and uh, powerlifting was kind of like this this escape from reality in a way because you don't really have a job you become you know and not everyone that just pursues a, a sport becomes great at it but I just had the opportunity to, to utilize timing as much as my competitive success because as soon as I took off as a lifter I was already making powerlifting videos just talking about my journey just talking about what I was doing at a time when very few guys were even sharing information at all, let alone on YouTube. So I feel like my life has had all these different directions, but I feel like you're exactly right. I was living so fast 
trying to keep up and trying to manage myself as a lifter, myself as a coach, myself as someone who does seminars, myself as someone, you know, who's willing to travel and, and help gym owners and all these other things. Um, you know, it's hard to juggle all of that. And I, I often equate back to stories. So I went to Bria College. Um, it's an Appalachian school. And one of the studies that I had was Appalachian studies. And we got to read some journals of these people. And literally from the 1800s, Civil War time, even prior, uh, these are folks that are talking about like one, you, you know, you read a month of their journal and it's like, you know, Johnny has to get milk today. Uh, Ruby has to go and fetch, you know, 20 gallons of water today. And, and it's like every person had one thing to accomplish that day. And it was like, it's a pass fail, but you know what? You got 24 hours to get one thing done and maybe two, right? Uh, even to the point that I, I read a story of a lady named Annabelle that had a child pre-dawn, turned the child over to her oldest 13-year-old daughter before the sunrise and hoed the field because her husband was fighting a war, you know? So like when you see this, this kind of stuff, it's like, man, what if I had to, and that's a question that I kept coming back to, like, what if I had to, what if I had to answer these questions honestly in front of myself or in front of my peers or in front of the closest people to me? Like, who am I and what has made me into what I am and what's going to make me into who I want to be? And that's where I started the plus one mentality. You know, when I was looking at myself at the at the rock bottom, you know, just kind of to curb a number, it was like a thousand bad choices put me here. A thousand bad choices. So if I can make a thousand and one good choices, that might start getting me out of this. So everything that I did had to become a good choice, almost like a game. Not for not for my own satisfaction, but like just truly to see how many plus ones I could rack up in a day. I'm going to hold an old, I'm going to hold a door for an elderly lady. I'm going to ask a total stranger how they're doing. I'm going to do things like, you know, just walk up to somebody that is, is sitting on the street and instead of offering them money, instead of, you know, a sandwich or a bottled water or whatever, how could I help? And I've done that like a few times over to the point I've done the bottled waters and things too, but like a few times over, I've just asked people, how can I help? And it's much different when you have that human connection. Like, I just need some food or I just need some water. Well, let's go in here. I can get that. You know, I don't want to give you money. I want to give you help. And I just tried to look for ways that it wasn't about me anymore. You know, it was about my environment, the people that I encountered, the total strangers that don't matter, but in a universe of impossibility and randomness at a level that we can't understand. I think if you cross paths with anyone, it's a miracle. You know, just by the fact of conception and birth alone, I think the fact that we interact with people is a miracle that sometimes we forget the impossibility of it, you know, the unlikeliness of it. So I just had to change my perspective on things. I had to stop looking at the world, like I said before, using anger and aggression to motivate myself and look at the world around me and be like, how can I make this place better? Not what can this place do for me or what can these people do for me? What can I do for these people? What can I do for someone that in my entirety of life has no impact on yesterday or five minutes from now. I can hold a door. I can smile. I can ask how you're doing. So my whole life changed, and it and I think that impacted my my desire or my willingness and openness to something like the recurve. I don't know why, but I think all of that had to happen, or I would have never picked it up at all. I think every single thing that happened in my life 
Um, and I, and I say this of anything, I'm not trying to romanticize the trad bow, like, <laughs> you know, my knees blew apart so I could become a recurve archer. <laughs> but I do think that like those things happened and doors opened and, and good doors open and bad doors open. And finally, for once in my life, I kept choosing good doors. And because of those good doors, a recurve ended up in my hand, which I do think is a good door in and of itself. Well, I think anything uh, that happens in life, we have a decision, right? You have a decision to make. And I think in order for us to do more consistent, like good things in life, you still have to be intentional about that. I don't care what relationship that could be with a spouse. It could be with a girlfriend. It's the people that are closest to your children. You still have to be intentional because of how fast paced this world is. And I think you're right. I think a recurve. I think the recurve, I think because it is something that has been around for a long time and it's really outdated in the the technology sense and what the majority of people use to take to the woods. And I think that it simplifies it so much as a hobby. It's something that we do for fun, right? It's not because we're doing it. We have to, we have to survive. I think that piece of it creates that also in other parts of your life if you let it and i think that's a it's a beautiful thing man i think that right like you said god has intended us to be in a world with with people like we're supposed to interact we're supposed to do good by one another like that's the when when things are going good in life and like this world is uh is is functioning like it should it's because acts of, of goodness and good services are happening like that and our approach is intentional for selfless reasons right i think that yeah. that is the uh the whole sense of the reason that we're here um and i'm with you man i think the majority of the people that you run into uh in the traditional community which is probably why it makes it so um enticing in today's world are, are good-hearted people like they're good they're good people do they have do, are they selfish sometimes yeah we all are nobody's perfect you know there's no perfect being but i think at the end of the day it creates that um that narrative more commonly and it i don't know man we need more of that maybe that's because we were created that way like we truthfully we need more of that positive energy in our life right have you you, uh have you ever read tribe by sebastian younger have not i've not read it i recommend that a lot that that was a book okay so like i said you know i'm a i'm a big guy i'm 340 pounds powerlifting tattooed covered all over my body um you know, and I was like self-made. I'm the lone wolf, like all that stupid, like stuff that I cringe that ever left my mouth, you know, from years ago, I'm looking back at myself, like, you're such an idiot, you know, but, um, all of that stuff to be said, when I read this book, it kind of floored me because that was my mindset. And I think as a high level competitor, I think if you look at, um, you know, not to compare myself to Jordan again, but like, if you look at the last dance and you see some of the stuff that Jordan says that like most people don't identify with at all. I'm sitting there shaking my head like, Oh, I get it. I get it. Like I understand that level of almost insanity that you drive yourself to win. And, uh, tribe really showed me that, man, what is a lone individual in the wild after a long enough timeline? And not, not that long, probably dead. Right. But you, but you, but you put an individual with, three to four other individuals, or even like I said in Papua New Guinea before we started talking, they send three people to hunt, two to scout, skin, and help, and one to do the act. So I think it's like they they don't, they didn't have a science book to tell them to send three people. They just evolved to understand that they do a better job when there's more of them. You know what I mean? So it's like 
I think that simply we are designed to be a tribal existence. We're, we're designed to lean on people because guess what? I can probably do something that would help you that you can't do very well that I enjoy and you hate. And there's the same thing. There's the same kind of thing coming from you to me. And what I've found in the archery community, um, there's not very much money on the comp or on the recurve side of things, the longbow side of things, the traditional side of things. And I say that in the sense of like, yeah, there's bowyers that are making money. There's manufacturers that are making money, but there's no sponsorship money. There's no competition of design this bow and it's the best bow that's ever been made. And it's made of like, you know, meteoric fizzle dust. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's, there's none of that yeah. to, to entice people to spend more money than what the quality of the, of the craft is. So I think what that lends itself to is, is you, you get rid of the people who are just doing it for the showcase. So that's a big win. I really do think that even though I work in the industry, I think when you meet people who don't need the industry but find themselves in it, they're a different breed than people that are trying to find themselves in an industry. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It yeah. does. Yeah. So I, I think on the traditional side, you know, you're you're likely, not impossible, but likely not to kill the biggest animals. You're likely not to ever have any kind of paid sponsorship or support of any kind. You're likely to miss animals, wound animals, um, struggle at a rate that is far more difficult than picking up a compound and, and not to discount anyone that hunts with a bow. It's hard regardless, but it's just a special kind of person and it's an older minded kind of person. It's, it's not necessarily that it's all older people or, or people that have, have done it forever, but it's just an older mindset kind of person. Like I found through traditional archery, you, you meet a lot of people who like different kinds of music, they like different kind of art or poetry, or, you know, they, they have a different layer or a different texture to them that a lot of people that I meet just in general life don't. There's a, there's a, there's more of a martial art to the, the recurve. So I think it lends itself to a different type of person. Yeah, it sure does. Uh, I mean, you can go to a shoot, a traditional archery shoot and, I mean, you can really see all walks of life, and it's kind of uh, interesting to to see all these these different people come together over one thing. I mean, you got really successful people from one walk of life all the way down to you know your just anybody. I mean, it doesn't matter. Um, and it's yeah. it's really cool that um, traditional archery can uh, create that bond, you know. And you can have someone come out there with a hundred dollar Amazon bow. And another person come out there with a a bow that has been worked on by a bowyer for three years, and I mean that the playing field is uh, is equal, so it doesn't matter. It really yeah. doesn't discriminate, and that's I think that's a, a beautiful part of traditional archery that um, you don't get in in um, other forms, you know, of hunting. Right. Well, and it and it it just forces a different kind of comprehension of archery. You know what I mean? Um, like I said, when I had a compound, the the hardest work that I had to do was I, I had a guy that built my bow that was the same draw length. Uh, we had the same kind of arrow imagination. We wanted to be roughly the same draw weight, same arrow weight. So, and, and he's actually a target archer for a manufacturer. So it was like, when this thing came to me, all I had to do was set pins and I'm, and I'm good to go. Right. Um, with the recurve, 
you really do have to develop a relationship with your bow um, because I got in the habit of being enthusiastic and wanting to shoot different bows and shoot different weight arrows and shoot different components and different things like that as a beginner. Like, I haven't even refined myself as an archer to even tell the difference of what I'm doing. But what I did was somewhat self-limiting. And as I started to, to go into this season, uh, I really decided, like, you know what? I'm not good enough to play around yet. Like, I need to get serious. And that led me to some of the stuff that I'm going to tell you about as far as my shooting goes. Um, I had the biggest bore of my life. And, and like we talked a little bit before we started recording, from the first arrow, really until about two months ago, I could shoot really, really well and not tell you how I did it, if that makes sense. Like, I was attempting to mimic what I saw others do, and it was very different than what others were actually doing, but it was effective. And it's like, okay, do I remain the outlier that does it this way and has good luck, but I could never transfer why or tell you how I did it, and the accuracy wasn't what I would say is proficient. Like I was very, very good. One group, I could put three inside a quarter at 25 yards. The next group, it would be, you know, you might not hit the fingers on a catcher's mitt. You know what I mean? It's just, it was very erratic and, and troublesome. So in the last month or so, I've kind of been chasing the Tom Klum, uh, Joel Turner, Aaron Snyder podcast rabbit hole, uh, along with some other guys. Jeff Harrison is another guy. Uh, it's just, personally encouraged me to shoot better um or or to chase improvement with a better mindset i guess and it's almost like i was telling you guys i can't i can win that that conscious subconscious because it's not the target like if i want to hit the target i'll hit it but it's the feeling of before i was just shooting and it was fun and it was like innocence is bliss but now it's like that I know that there is a strong point to put my front hand. There's actually a draw point that I want to find before I reach my anchor. There's my anchor. There's the click. There's the follow through. And I'm over analyzing the process. I'm, I'm almost like a process panic is what I said a minute ago. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm kind of feeling my way through that. I, I you know, I'm I almost wrote a post about it today, but you know, I shot 12 arrows very intentionally. Each arrow was like, that's a live deer. It's not foam. Take your breath, follow your process. Nine of the 12, I would be glad to post on Instagram. One was under the belly and two were over the back. And it's like out of nowhere with no explanation, no understanding of why I look at the video and one of, one of those things, either the front hand or the back hand or my follow through, one of those things was reverting back to previous form on the three that were poor. So it's like, man, I really have to stay on myself to shoot well right now, which is fine, but it's like I've lost a little bit of that. It's just great to go outside and shoot 15 arrows and love it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a little bit right. more right now, but as a coach and like I said, the strength coach, I know exactly how that looks on an athlete. Like if I tell you to do something that makes your squat go down 50 pounds today and all you can see is the result of like this took me backwards, but I know in six months it's going to take you forward 50 pounds. Man, you got to grab my hand and pray. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you've got to hold on and believe. But sure. that's where I'm at. I have that knowledge from powerlifting. 
to apply it to myself when I just want to throw the bow, break every arrow, and pick up my compound and just hit X after X after X. Inside 20 is brought to you by Traditional Bow Hunters of Georgia. Head on over to tradbowga.com for more information. And by Big Jim Bow Company, the place for custom bows, handmade leather goods, and much more to meet your traditional archery needs. Check them out at BigJimBowCompany.com. Gunshy Archery, the perfect custom-made quiver for both two- and three-blade broadheads. Check them out at GunshyArchery.com. VPA Broadheads, precision machined one-piece broadheads. Two- and three-blade mode is available. Check them out at VPArchery.com. And make sure you use discount code INSIDE20, spelled out with no spaces, for a 10% discount on any purchase. Custom King Archery, the best price on the best traditional archery products since 1972. Check them out at CustomKingArchery.com. Triple T Strings, created champion-level Flemish and endless strings for hunters and target shooters using the best materials. Check them out at TTT Strings on Facebook. This is the way it's supposed to be. And I just listened to a podcast with Clum, and he said the Olympic archery standard, when they made a technical change, was that the archer completed the technical the technical change inside one month at 30%. Three out of 10 reps, they did it correctly. At six months, it was 60%, and at one year, it was 90%. They never ever felt an archer achieve perfection at 100. percent Yeah. So it's like I'm looking, I'm, you know, I'm looking at myself, and mm-hmm. I just told you I hit nine, nine out of twelve Which in really great. a month and a half in a month and a half change. Right. Um, I'm I'm still ahead of the curve. So it's like if I hadn't heard that podcast earlier today or yesterday or whenever it was, you know, I was pretty low. But today I took that information as like, no, this is. This is empowerment. You're ahead of the curve. Stay there. Don't don't dip back. Don't believe that crap. Just stay above your consciousness. Go through your shot press process. Press all those boxes as you go. And it's like I, I do appreciate Clum for kind of going. Once you got your front hand set, that's done. Forget it. Once you draw and get to your your length, done. Forget it. Anchor, back tension, click, release. You know, it's kind of like just that. One is done, two is done, three is done, and that's mm-hmm. helping me. But I'm still in the throes of, you know, it's kind of like trying to stand up in a canoe. <laughs> I'm still rocking, you know. Well, I'll I'll tell you, and you can take this from someone that over the years that I've been shooting traditional archery, I have done nothing but struggle, and <laughs> I've had, I've had so much fun doing it, and it's it's an it's an impart. You can't be. You're not going to be perfect at it you're not going to hit you know 12 out of 12 every day if you're lucky you may hit 11 out of 12 each day and i've learned that and you can find some peace in that to know that that bow is going to do what it's supposed to do it's inside you to figure the rest out you know well Um, that's that's a huge one because it's like when i want to throw the bow you know you know when i want to have my adult temper tantrum (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, kid, remember, that thing at your best does exactly what you want it to. Mm-hmm. You're not at your best. And I have I have fought very, and I'm curious what you guys have to say about this. I've fought very, very hard um, on days when I'm not shooting well to just put the bow down for a little bit. Like, even if it's for like an hour, 
Absolutely. Just put it down and walk away because, you know, in powerlifting or in anything that I've ever done, jiu-jitsu or whatever, um, it tends to be that my mindset or my ability to succeed is more with more intensity, with more focus, with more intention will get you more, right? Yeah. Well, with this, that's when you fall apart. Mm-hmm. That's when you're like, when you're just sitting there like trying to drive this thing, well, it's like riding a Bronco. It's not, it's not going to give to you. It's going to take you wherever it wants to go because you're trying to control something so simple, but you're overcomplicating. That's what I've, that's what I've reduced it down to my, for myself. So when I'm just shooting and I'm drawing and I'm just looking at my target, holding, finding my aim and letting go. It works even when I wasn't trying to make it work. You know, it's like the process is is already pretty good. Can I clean Mm -hmm. it up? For sure. But when I start thinking about it to the point of like, I have to be perfect, not just let's get a little better. That's where I fall into into the balance of where I struggle because everything I've ever done has been at at the pursuit of the best. And this almost forces you to be like, no, man, you're so far from even competent. You just need to get better. You know what I mean? Like it, it humbles me every day more than anything I've ever done. Yeah, that I think that's a, a part that most of us like. I mean, if you've if you've got it and where you you want to shoot traditional and you really stick to it, I think that's a that's a um a big part of it. You know, you're never gonna be the best. You're never gonna be perfect. But two things I've I've heard I've heard from multiple people, but two people I'll mention now because they're uh, they're very good hunters. One is a guy named Dendy Cromer. We had him on the podcast. He, me and Matt talked to him a good bit. He's an awesome guy. Good hunter. He says, yep. go shoot one arrow. I mean, shoot one arrow, go grab it, walk back, shoot another arrow. Them groups will get you. And another thing, a fellow named Al Chapman, awesome guy. He said, and this is the most important, and I, I believe it to be the most important also, if you're not having fun shooting, probably shouldn't be shooting i mean it's just yeah it's just meant to be fun man yeah well no you're you're exactly right and you know knowing my own (laughs) knowing my own demons i've kind of like self-regulated a lot of this stuff to to help myself keep it you know a a passion and a hobby and not let myself get so daggone engrossed in it that i ruin it for myself because i can do that you know oh Um, me too i've done it well, and that's the thing, and, and it's like this weekend I was kind of at that point where I was, you know, I'd just gotten new arrows, I'd just gotten new inserts, I'd just got them cut, and they were shooting great, and then I changed one thing on my form, and I can't find, you know, I can't find center to save my life. You know, it's like, do I go back, or do I really stay the course? And, you know, I'm just kind of giving in to the fact that I've got to, I've got to make these changes for long-term success, even if it's a short-term step back. But man, that is a hard, that is a hard road to hoe in hunting season. You know what I mean? Like to make yeah, a change sure. like that. Um, because, I, you know, honestly, if you ask me to go hunting, be like, hey man, we got, we got 10 150s on this 40 acre track and we see them every night. You good? I couldn't tell you honestly that I am, but I've got three weeks to get better. You know, I've got, I've got some stuff coming up. I actually am kind of late season heavy this year. Um, 
but again, I'm shooting good enough that I'm like, I can get there. But in the next three weeks, I won't hunt if I can't, or if I don't believe I can. You know what I mean? Like, right. Well, I mean, I'm good, I think I'm, that's good, I'm, good, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good enough with where I am as a hunter and as as somebody who's trying to do the right thing. I think if I can say that, mean that, and enact upon that, if I don't feel confident, that's good too. That's a win for me. Like I can put my head down, knowing that I did the right thing. Well, I sure I as hell want to get. I sure as hell want to get better in the next three weeks. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. But I think it's a part of um, you know respect in what we do you know if you don't feel comfortable with the shot you don't take it you know and i, I think that's a, i think that's a good thing i mean it shows um it, it shows willpower you know just to know that yeah. you don't have to make this shot tonight you know yeah well you know that's probably been the coolest thing ever too is you know we've got a lease uh in oklahoma a buddy of mine and that's that's another cool story talking about doors opening and that's a whole entire podcast to itself but ended up in the most random place in Oklahoma with the most random group of guys. And it's turned out to be one of the, the best hunting buddies groups you could ever imagine to the point that these are some of my best friends and we only see each other one, one week out of the year. Uh, but we've got a tremendous hog population and, you know, graciously enough, you know, I'm just a small contributor to the lease, but graciously enough, because there's such a problem, the guys on the lease have let me hunt it. Um, and really that's been the biggest gain for me with confidence, with repetition, um, with being able to trust a broad end because I can put it through one, two, three animals, um, you know, and do a service to the land as well as to the deer population. So it's, I'm a pretty aggressive guy once I get my mind to something and I shoot heavy as far as like, if I'm shooting really well, I can put it down. And if I'm shooting really poorly, I can put it down. But I do have goals of, you know, I, I try to shoot 25 to 30 arrows in the morning and I try to shoot 25 to 30, 30 arrows at night and just adhere to those things from a discipline standpoint as much as a technical gain standpoint. But, you know, my next hunt is for pigs and then I start the deer hunts and I'm, I'm really excited to test myself on the pigs. But there again, you know, I don't want to go out there taking bad shots. And, and like I said, I'm really, really close to feeling good i just got to trust a few more gaps you know absolutely those pigs are fun to hunt aren't they I, well that's what i was going to say um we'll talk a little bit more about it after this this runs and stuff but yeah it's we need to get you guys out there i'm trying to put together a small group and i appreciate you guys asking me so much i'd like to include you in that but try to put this together a small group or two even smaller groups three to five hunters each or maybe a group of eight to ten um, and come out because we have I think we have seven spots you know so somebody would have the buddy system for a hunt but you can spot and stalk in the day and then we have green lights on some feeders at night and uh, that makes it fun because you can spot and stalk too I mean if you sit in a stand you can it's just a slaughter fest so to keep it interesting we spot and stalk on the green light and that's that's a really fun you know way to to just get some repetition and trust your shot high stress situation i mean gotten as close as a foot when i shot a boar <laughs> so it's pretty sick 
And you don't have to ask us more than once. Uh, that sounds like a blast. We we enjoy pig hunting. We get to do a lot of it um, in the summertime. I say a lot. We get to go at least a few times a year down to South Georgia and and do some pig hunting. And it's it's a lot of fun. We wish they were in a way closer to the house, but then there's part of that to where, from a destructive standpoint, it is nice that they we don't have to deal with them you know during deer season oh, or other parts of the year. I'll tell you right now. So it's 15 hours and 37 minutes from my house to the lease. Wow. I would drive it every weekend. I would leave every Friday morning to get there and hunt Friday night from 11 p.m. to 3 a.m., get up about 10 a.m. and go try to walk the river bottoms because we got a river system that runs and snakes and borders our entire property. So if you want to see pigs and wallows, just walk that river system and you'll see them. Or you can just bench up and wait two hours and you'll see them come out. You know, that's not every time and it's not perfect, but it's, pretty good science that says that's true um and then at night you can hunt them like i said under that green light whether people think that's ethical or not i looked at it as an opportunity one we saw 500 to 600 pigs in seven days so they need they need to be eradicated for sure they're doing they're doing damage to the deer they're doing damage that's a little bit of an issue (laughs) oh for sure well dude i've got a group there's people used to tell me i was lying People used to tell me I was lying. I was out there last December uh, hunting whitetail, sitting in a tree. I was 10 feet off the ground. It was an amazing spot. I love it. And uh, I was texting my buddy. I was like, hey, man, you need to come up here and kill some pigs sometime. And we were talking about this. And I said, when the pigs come in tonight, I'll send you a video. You won't believe it. 62 pigs came in nose to tail in one sitting in about two minutes. That's crazy, man. That's wow. nuts. Well, you know, and it's like, I wish I was exaggerating, but that's the video. Um, you know, group after group in the 10 to 15 size. Group after group after group after group in the 5 to 6 size. You know, it's, you just never know what you're going to get. But, I mean, they're out there. They're everywhere. And the green light just makes it a system that is efficient for hunting at night. It helps. It also sets up a system where you can get close and learn to stalk and play wind. Um, I have probably five times as many stalks that I got close enough to kill, could have drawn back and killed and pulled back just to test my method and see if I could replicate. Like, this is not just a bloodbath. You know what I mean? Like, if I wanted that, I'd just sit in the stand. I'm really trying to try things out, figure, figure out what I can get away with, figure out how I can prove my skill, my setup, myself um it's just been an opportunity to me that i've utilized and if you know people take issue with any of it i I can explain every single reason why because ethical hunting is important to me like i very much care about it and uh i definitely don't want to represent myself uh archery or specifically the recurve community in any negative light so you know for me looking at the situation of the overpopulation to the condition it is to the level that people can come in with helicopters and machine guns you know i've still got a 175 feet per second 575 grain arrow trying to get close you know if if i'm hunting in that situation i'm not shooting anything over 12 yards you know so there's there's rules in play to keep it fair chase if, if you want to call it that at all you know yeah and like you said it's field proven right you're trying to go test your skills and ability and i mean you can shoot at foam all day long but it's a lot different shooting at something that's got a heartbeat 
it is a, a totally different ball game. And so that's the, that's the way you can sharpen and hone those skills is going to do that. And, and, uh, and thankfully it's, it is the point to where the, it is an issue. And so going out there and killing multiple pigs, um, is, is not, I don't think it is unethical. I think it is completely ethical and it's needed. And then on top of that, they do taste good as well. Well, and that's the thing too. I, you know, I like to cook. I'm a field to table kind of guy. I still, I've got a five year vision going of this event. I want to create called harvest. And, uh, I wanted to just showcase kills throughout the year that I get with a, with a group that is half hunters or pro hunting and a group that has never had a piece of game meat in their life. And, you know, the way that I envision this thing is I have a presentation table up at the front with all the skulls. I don't care if it's a doe. I don't care if it's a buck. I don't care if it's big, small, whatever. I just, I, you know, I want the truth on a table. And I would individually like to go and tell the story of each kill and what each one of those things meant to me. One, as I was killing it, and then two, as I was thinking of how I could prepare it for people who love this dish or have known this dish their entire life and serve it in a way that shows them a different way than they've ever tried it and makes them love it. And then introduce it to someone who may be opposed to hunting entirely and opposed to or has never tried that meat and then make it conversational, make it deeper than just pleasure, make it like, like an expansion of consciousness. And that, you know, that sounds kind of silly, but like the conversation of, well, this is different than anything I've ever had as a hunter. You know, I grew up on fried backstrap. Like if it wasn't fried, then we never ate it. Well, this is a, you know, a sous vide backstrap that's then done some kind of glaze or whatever. Let's talk about that. What did you think about this versus beef? What did you think about this versus pork? What did you think about this wild wild pig versus store-bought pig? Like, there's a million conversations that can be had. And I think, you know, in a way that combines my passion for cooking, my passion for outdoors, my passion for conversation with people um, and education, like, to me, that's eight to ten people that I can look in the face, put food in their stomachs, and tell them the truth about hunting from my vision and they leave with a piece of that, you know, and I don't know what that does to people when they walk out the door, but hopefully it might change their view on it. That might change their conversation about it. That might change somebody walking in a voting booth and saying, you know what, hunting's not as bad as I thought it was because, and then have a justification for it. Not just yeah. the emotional sweep of hunting is this or that. No, I have a, I have a first degree tie to a way that hunting was shown to me in a positive light. I think that is a only way to enlighten people and for folks that don't have a clue, they haven't been exposed to it, haven't been a part of their life, uh, wasn't raised that way. It's just it, in different parts of the world, people live different lifestyles, especially in this country. And so you, you can't fault them for that and what they've been around and to be able to do that in that light, I think it's a, a great idea. Another great idea that we want to talk about that I feel like is, man, it is, I don't know, it, it, it really, when I first heard about it, it was uh, one of those, uh, just like, just, man, that's a, that's a, that is an ingenious idea. Whoever came up with that, uh, we're going to do that. And that's the shoot to eat challenge. Can you explain, oh, yeah. explain to us exactly how that challenge came about and then talk about the challenge itself for those that might yep. listen to this and have no clue. Maybe they hadn't seen it on Instagram. For sure. So a few years ago, organically, uh, my boss, Bert Soren, I work for Sorenx Outdoors, by the way. Um, 
Sornex proper is the highest, best, most quality, longest standing uh, exercise equipment manufacturer. As far as, you know, we outfit numerous college teams, professional teams in all sports. Um, and, you know, we've really been innovators and kind of at the cutting edge. Well, Bert grew up as a hunter. And my kind of, when we were talking about the, the reintroduction to hunting for me, uh, kind of reinvigorated Bert in a different way. And we were just talking about outdoors as a community kind of environment or kind of space. And to to really see or to, you know, kind of communicate with that crowd, Bert started shooting his bow a little bit. And then his hunting season approached, he was like, you know what, to up the ante, to make every arrow count, I'm going to get up first thing in the morning before I can have my coffee, before I can have my breakfast, before I brush my teeth, I'm going to walk out here and I'm going to take a cold bore shot, something that's challenging. You know, you don't want to just take a 20-yard shot if, you know, you're you're going to have an expectant range of 40 yards on, a, on an elk or a mule deer or something like that. You want to challenge yourself a little bit. So maybe if you're a 40-yard cap on a live animal, you start at 30 yards and increase one yard every day based on your success. If you miss outside of your target size, you, you shoot the same distance tomorrow. If you hit your target, then you can back up. And one of the things that was cool was we had some people that had 100 yards that they could shoot. Some people had 20 yards. And the thing that some guys did in five-day increments is they would shrink their target size. You know, they might have a the size of a red solo cup at the at the mouth end on day one through five. And then in day six through 10, they're like the bottom of a red solo cup. And then day 11 through 15, they were the size of say a racquetball, you know, so there's different ways to skin a cat, but the goal being when it matters, like, and and the the penalty, if you miss was you also skip breakfast, you also skipped your coffee. So much like the penalty on the mountain is if you miss your animal, well, you're going home with a light pack and an empty freezer. Um, and that was the goal is like to set up some kind of penalty or reward for shooting in a way that you desire to when it matters. And, you know, for two or three years, Bert kind of did this quietly on his own. A few people would join in here and there and it kind of became a hashtag and then it became a t-shirt and then it became a thing. And then this year we're like, man, people are asking for this. Bert's more motivated this year than ever because he had some big hunts coming up. So it's like, yeah, let's just throw it out there and see what happens. And the coolest freaking thing about it all, like this is this is the pat myself on the back moment of the podcast. If people don't think I haven't done that enough, not my intention, but this is, <laughs> it was, I just got the idea of all these people that had helped me in traditional archery, whether it was they liked the photo and I knew that they had an immense knowledge like the push. When I first got into shooting this, I watched a bunch of their stuff. They followed me. They liked a couple of posts. Um, so I was like, you know what? I'm going to send them a message. I'm going to send uh, Logan up at Attaboy's a message. He's a he's a champion shooter. He also helped me with my bow. Like just all these people that were micro to macro influential in my recurve journey. I just sent him a message all the way up to Clay Hayes. You know, like shooting for the moon, sending that guy a message, and like, hey guys. We're going to do the shoot to eat challenge. I would love to see traditional archery represented well here, right? I would love to see traditional archery get some love from a from a company 
that it's got it right. You know, they're not doing this for any other reason than it's a, a community thought that everybody's going to be getting up, shooting a cold bore arrow with breakfast on the line so that come September, when the meat's on the line, you perform and you understand where you need to improve before that moment happens. And, dude, almost 100% of the people that I ask, like all but one, interacted with me. All but two posted about it. And the guy that, that didn't, or the two that didn't post about it had, you know, kind of some sponsor obligations that get void or whatever. And when you look at the numbers and you look at the breakdown of the people that were involved, the people that were hashtagging, the trad community was not the majority, but it was like, it was a percentage that would not be representative of trad archers versus compound archers total. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes complete sense. I think it... Yeah. it it was a great challenge, man. We actually did uh, take take part in that this past summer. And I, for for me, when I first saw it, I constantly try to replicate like what you feel when you go to the woods. But you can't do that. You just cannot do it. For instance, the the piece of foam you're shooting at, it doesn't move. Like it's not. It's always going to be right there, right? And and so I right. think there's pieces of that that will never change. But the nervousness that you feel, it's not the same. I totally understand. Like you don't get that adrenaline dump when you're about to do the shoot to eat challenge but the nervousness and in the back of your mind you can either play that into a positive spin and go through your shot sequence and and actually perform like you should and make a good shot and concentrate or you can let it eat you up and then you just you choke right it's like it's like bowling yeah. that last frame and are you going to hit it or are you going to gutter ball it? And I think that that right. piece of you not going to get to eat breakfast because you're you're pretty pretty dang hungry when you wake up, there's some skin in the game at that point. I don't know how you yeah. felt, Tim, but there's some skin in the game at that point. So it, oh, yeah. it, was, and, it was good. And it was all on video. So I was like, <laughs> all right, yeah. I'm videoing myself. I'm about to send it out to, you know, these 10 guys in our, our group message that all shoot trad, that are all – probably better shooters than I am. I'm like, all right, that's motivation right there to, to, to want to shoot straight if nothing else is. And you know what, at the end of the challenge, when we got out to what, 30 yards, Matt, I think is what we were shooting or 25, yeah. something like that. I shot really good. And I yeah. contribute that to shooting one shot and going back inside, you know, at least for the shoot to eat, because that's what I did. I would shoot my one shot and that would be it. So I knew that that was, my one opportunity, I didn't have another one in the quiver. And that's kind of why I said, you know, if you shoot one shot and go to your target and pull it, go walk back, you've done all that, you know, take your time and, and focus. And I think that played into it. So I think it really yeah. does. Well, everybody's I'll be honest. Got, everybody's got one shot a day time, time frame, right? You can shoot one yeah. shot. And if you don't, yeah. you're making excuses. I don't care if it's uh, if it's by light at night. I know everybody's got different schedules, but you've got time to make just shoot one shot. And when you go to the woods, you might get two, but oftentimes, especially like in a, a deer hunting situation, right? Like with the deer season we're in right now, you're probably only going to get one shot. That's about it. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too is it's like it, it sounds silly, but I could you know I'm a coffee guy. And I love, I love having a cup of coffee in the morning. I love when, it, especially like right now, it's my favorite time of year when it starts to get cold, but you got a hot cup in your hand. So for me, it wasn't so much the breakfast that was on the line. For me, it was that coffee. And I can tell you, every single morning that I made that cup of coffee after my shot, it literally tasted better. 
and that's that I know that sounds silly or kind of like oh yeah that's what everybody would say but truly like when I was shooting or before I would draw that's what I was thinking about was like man that coffee's going to taste good you know and I wanted to speak to something that Tim said or maybe you said it uh, Matt but the uh the emotion between anxiousness or nervousness and confidence like the chemical release in the body is the same it's absolutely the same it is the story that we tell ourselves when that chemical is released that impacts what our body reacts to. And I didn't have any clue of that awareness, but it almost like gave me the confidence to tell myself, I'm like, you're telling yourself a fairy tale if you're nervous here. Like you're feeling this excitement or this level of confidence because this is what you're training to do. This is what you're meant to do. Like you should be excited at the thought of hitting the X, not, nervous about hitting the, the shot or the X, but excited about it and doing the things that you can do to hit the X, not crumbling to the, the, the weight of anxiety over hitting the X. Does that make sense? It's literally the same exact chemical getting released through the brain. It's what our body does with that story that creates either like an excitement for confidence or an anxiety for nervousness. Yeah. It's very true. It's it's so applicable throughout your entire life, and I think everybody can learn that lesson in, through traditional archery, or they can apply it through traditional archery. And Brandon, I want to tell you this right now. I mean, we're we're right over an hour, and I think this has been an amazing podcast. And and you're a true inspiration, man. Just the story that you have to tell, and and how we were able to relate that back to just re- real everyday life, which we all love traditional archery. If we could do it. For our day jobs, which some people, I guess, can, but most of us can't, then we would. But at the end of the day, we've got other responsibilities and, uh, and tasks that we have to, uh, we are faced with every day and challenges. And so I think that to be able to tackle that in the same light will make you more successful at everyday life, right? And so we just, man, we uh, appreciate your time tonight more than you know. Well, I appreciate it too. Like I said, you know, I kind of rambled in, in spurts, but, you know, I was, you know, being a like myself and enjoying myself. Like I told you guys beforehand, you know, I like to get on a place where I feel like guys understand where I'm coming from or have the same kind of view on things. And, you know, I guess I'll leave it with this. If you, if you look at your life and it's, it's where you want it to go, it's because of, of discipline and intention. If it's not, it's because you're, you're making bad choices or you're lazy with your intention. And I think shooting a recurve more than anything else, you know, you can shoot a rifle, you put that scope on there and you put the bead in the middle, it's it's going to hit what you aim at. Compound, more or less the same kind of thing. You put that pin over the center, it's going to make it's going to make the shot. The recurve, if you get lazy at all, or if you get outside of your your plan or your process, it exposes it immediately. And the thing about it is, is you have that area that arrow kind of as a feedback point and in life you don't always have immediate feedback like that but i think if you can just pay attention to your decision making your discipline process the way that you go through your day the way that you plan your day the way that you see things coming before they hit you in the face um, as far as like keeping a calendar or sorting your emails or sorting your text messages i mean they sound silly but those little things can make such a big difference in your life and for me the recurve stuff, I understand that every single nuance matters. And if it's true of something as simple as a stick and string, 
well, every nuance in my day-to-day life matters. You know, I need to pay better attention to those in-betweens, not just the big stuff. And then when you start to do that, maybe some of the in-between stuff is more important than the big stuff, and you can recalibrate. So I'm always trying to figure myself out and, you know, trying to figure out how to make an arrow fly straight is a lot like trying to figure out how to get my life straight. Um, it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun too. So, and it's a process, but I'm having fun with it. It is, man. It is a hundred percent. And the crazy thing is, you know, we shared with you, we were going to try to do something a little bit different when we close tonight and we were going to read a real short devotion. Right. And so this is an outdoorsman devotion. It's real short. This was randomly picked. And you can say that we, we're not lying about this. We didn't tell you what devotion we're going to read. But after you just stated that, I think the transition into the, this devotion, because I've read it real quick, is perfect. So bear with me real quick, all right? A select arrow. He has also made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver, Isaiah 49.2. While archery deer season might have a legal limits in terms of calendars, it's 365 days a year from me. This is true because during the off season, I'm always tweaking my equipment, trying to improve my advantage against the exclusive whitetail. One of the things I enjoy working on is culling my inventory of arrows, keeping only the best for the moment of truth, even though the opportunity may still be months away. When the season finally arrives after settling into the deer stand, it is without exception a special moment for me when I remove an arrow from my quiver. Knowing that a second shot might be hard to come by, I'm careful to pick up an arrow that a certain mark I have inscribed on its vein. Number one, it wears this title because it's been tested and proved its dependability to use it to boost to my confidence level. More importantly, it all falls well the aiming process. The animal will suffer far less. I try to fill my quiver with number ones to go into the woods with less than the best is risky. As a result, there's a strange bond between me and my aluminum friends, knowing they had an endure many shots along with necessary adjustments to have the honor of the hunt. I sincerely value them. Sometimes the correction even required the heat of flame in order to get the broadhead to sit true on the tip. For those who desire a straight arrow for for Christ, I have a feeling my shaft selection process has a sobering ring of familiarity. The testing, the heat, the changing, and the patiently waiting in God's quiver until time to be sent to his target is not easy. For some of it will require slight adjustment. For others, some severe corrections are needed. Though it is grueling, procedure to withstand the longing to be considered one of his select arrows remains god wants to fill his quiver with number ones allow him to do what he must to write your own heart a select arrow may the testing bring a deep joy in knowing he loves you enough to want to be qualified to fulfill his divine purpose i think that's perfectly fitting with everything that you just talked about tonight so i think it was think it was uh, it's funny how things fall into place right yeah that was uh i identify with that in in many ways not only just in a spiritual sense but also kind of as a man you know whatever front i've faced whether you know to go back to an athletic background you always want to be a number one you know even if it's a team of baseball where there's nine kids you know 
there's two left fielders on every team. There's two right fielders on every team. Two, you know, four pitchers. I wanted to be number one in, in all of those things. And I think for me, um, you know, living to a certain point in my life where I did every single thing by a code that I believed was right. And then, like I said, you know, my job fell apart. My, my businesses fall, fell apart. My marriage fell apart. Um, relationships with family and friends fell apart. You know, that didn't change. Like that was just, that was wind or that was rain or, or, or some kind of like natural condition that affects you in hunting. All of those things were, were hurdles to overcome. But like you guys would understand and I understand, there are arrows that can be built to overcome any of those conditions, right? There are arrows that can be built for any moment. If you're going to shoot something at 30 yards, that's a different arrow than a 15-yard shot. And you build yourself accordingly to what you have to face. And sometimes that's changed. Sometimes you have to reconstruct yourself in a way that you never imagined because something in your path has caused you to change. And you can sit there and fight it. You can buck it. You can try to – and I'm not saying – you know, don't hold your ground on things. But I'm saying sometimes when life keeps knocking you down, you might be the common denominator in your failure. You know, you have to change something about yourself to get to get going again, and that's just like an arrow. I mean, it is a perfect analogy because it is very, very seldom the sweeping, grandiose change that gets the most result. It's the subtleties. It's the way that you look at people. It's the way that you talk to people. It's the way that you interact with people. It's the way that you do your job. It's the way that you talk to your children. It's the way that you show your children who you are in times of struggle and in times of success. I think every single moment becomes an opportunity to become who we want to be. And I think more often than not, people are just lackadaisical about their awareness awareness of those moments. Because just like with the trad bow, as soon as you get confident, you're going to do something either on foam and God forbid on an animal that proves that you weren't doing the things that you were supposed to do. Life has a funny way of doing the same. Yeah, that's exactly right. You get yeah. the nail on the head and, and your humble yeah. mindset shows that. And we are truly grateful, man. Like I said earlier, we're just super grateful for the, just everything you shared and, and being uh, vulnerable and being honest and just, uh, you know, really just sharing like your outlook on life and how that's, uh, how that's played real big into your journey with trad and so with that, I want to close, man, in a, wor- a quick word of prayer, if that's all right. Yeah, absolutely. Lord, we are just so thankful for today. Just thankful for Brandon and just the, the man he is, Lord, and just uh, how he's so relatable and, and how he's uh, so well with his words just to share um, how things you know should be and, and outlooks on life and how important uh, really the things that sometimes we lose focus on are I just ask you just continue to guide him and just continue to give him the ability to just uh, continue to share this with folks that need to hear it, Lord, and just uh, be with all of us. Um, we're just thankful for the the opportunity to connect over a passion. If anybody out there hears this and they've got a passion and, and they feel like it's something that they need to hide, please, Lord, just give them the confidence to to be able to just use that as the uh, the platform just to glorify you in everyday light, Lord. And just uh, we're thankful for that. We're just thankful for everything you bless us with. I just thank you for our families, Lord, and um, our careers. Just ask you to continue to guide those, continue to guide our pursuit this fall. Be with everybody as they enter the woods. Um, just thank you for that, Lord, and just ask you just be with us tonight as we go separate ways and just keep us safe. 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Mark those calendars for February the 24th. It's hard to believe that deer season is officially over as it is now February, but guess what? It is a perfect time to keep those skills sharp and join us at our first official 3D shoot of the year with traditional bow hunters of Georgia, and that is the Central Zone shoot. It will be at 1460 Old Noonan Road, and that's Carrollton, Georgia. The zip is 30116. It's $10 if you're a member, and then it's $15 if you're a non-member. Good example of why you need to join traditional bow hunters of Georgia if you're not a member. If you're coming, which we hope everybody can make it, even if you're coming from out of state, Please RSVP to Seth Holland. That number is 678-850-1280. We hope to see everybody there.